So I had a friend in 2012 who was like, hey, there's this Bitcoin thing. Maybe you should buy some. I, di I didn't. Um... <laughs> I am that friend. <laughs> <laughs> we, all, we all have a friend like you, Adam. Hey, this is the Engineering Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. I'm Christoph. Welcome back for another hang in the laboratory. Thanks for joining us. Uh, and special thanks as always to our backers on Patreon who throw us as a little as a buck an episode to keep this thing going. If you want to jump in there, go to patreon.zengineeringpodcast.com. In our last episode, Jones, I tried to pitch that back to you. And it resulted in a two-minute chunk about how much you appreciate the people that help us on Patreon. <laughs> it's all about the love, man. It's very touching, <laughs> but like when there's business to handle and we have guests, I can't jump off that. So you heard the third voice, which means it's a guest episode. This week, we've got Christoph Jospe. He's the chief development officer at a company called Nori. And it's a company in the climate change space of which... Brian is just honestly a fan. <laughs> <laughs> An explorer. Uh, it helps that you do a podcast as well. But yeah, do you, do you want to just talk about your role at Nori a bit and uh, the company broadly speaking? Yeah, happy to. And thanks so much for having me on. Um, big fan of all podcasts. And I really listen, enjoyed listening to the podcast that you did with Gustav and appreciated the shout out at that moment. Awesome. Thank you. My my title is chief development officer, but I feel like my role is used carbon salesman because I'm just <laughs> and, and and chief anything sounds too pretentious. We we try to we like to say we're delusional enough to have reversing climate change on the back of our business cards, but <laughs> we're not we're not that hubristic to think we're doing it alone. My my role is pretty much just trying to convince people to participate in a new voluntary carbon removal marketplace. So what that means is you've got, on the one hand, individuals or entities that want to pay for removing carbon dioxide, and then the other people who can do that activity. And then I guess there's a third side, which is people or machines which can verify that that activity is actually occurring. And at Nori, we're trying to mix it all together and get the bean counting of pulling carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, right? So we, as opposed to some of the traditional carbon offset markets, which take a bit of an old school approach, we're trying to treat everything just like open sourced code that uh, we can build and maybe others can use and ultimately results in more CO2 getting pulled out of the atmosphere. So are you guys, so you're, you're in the space of carbon markets, right? So buying and selling like the rights to use carbon or the uh, paying to have carbon that you're using kind of offset somewhere else. Can you talk about what that means in context of like an everyday person? And is that where you guys are kind of focused? Is it is it for people who are looking to offset their own life? Uh, well, or, the, you know, business space? The the key thing here is to I think to understand that this behavior that that sort of uh, that your the carbon markets markets are tied up in is the thing that like companies have been doing for a while. So the idea of doing it personally in a private market where you're taking part in it in a like in a different way, it's not like we have to invent a whole bunch of new stuff. To to totally. 
we're, we're we're not we're not reinventing the wheel. Um, <laughs> we're just kind of have a have a bright shiny object called blockchain, um, and and doing it slightly differently. <laughs> but if you think about it from from an individual level, so in the United States, uh, on average, we emit between sixteen and twenty tons of carbon dioxide each year to the atmosphere. And so when you add all that up across America and then more broadly the world, it's it's an enormous amount. And businesses can do their part, but individuals are ultimately we're the collective whole. So I think you have to kind of think of it as an individual level. And, and when we think about carbon markets and in general, like fixing climate change, we try to simplify it to the uh, like waste metaphor. So... Nori is kind of treating the carbon markets like we're, we're a voluntary garbage collector. So if CO2 is garbage today, we're pretty much putting our garbage out in the street freely um, and not taking responsibility for paying to put it away. And so from an individual level, we should all strive to put as little trash in the street as possible. And so that's kind of reduce what you can, but then offset the rest and the only way to truly offset it is to say, if you've put carbon up in the atmosphere, then you need to pull it back down. And so in the carbon markets today, the mm -hmm. things that people are paying for are most of the time paying for people to put less trash in the street, um, either by reducing the emissions or figuring out a way to produce energy, which wouldn't put CO2 out. Um, so, so Nori's taking a little bit of a different approach and mm -hmm. saying, yes, those things are very important, but to get the arithmetic right for every ton of carbon dioxide that goes into the atmosphere, another ton goes back, needs to go back. And so to bring it back to the individual, it's you need to figure out what are all the things that you're doing, which are putting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. It's driving your car, flying to different places, you know, the, what is sort of energy are you getting, um, paying for is it renewable sources or is it you're getting from the fossil grid um, and adding all that up and saying well if i want to do my part this needs to get to zero and if i want to do more than my part then this should get to negative so well, it, it comes down to someone's got to pay for it the transaction is something that we're trying to make as seamless as possible and really just sort of happen in the background and that's where using a blockchain token is a medium of exchange can sort of automate some of these things where transactions are happening where like you're not even thinking about it but carbon is getting removed because of your everyday activity and so that's a little bit different from large carbon markets mm -hmm. where traditionally it's been a buyer has to go find a counterparty and so there's a whole matchmaking process and so it's kind of like an arcane like okay i want to pay for this project let me see if it's legitimate um is it you know, doing some additional benefit. Um, the, there are a number of carbon registries which have done a really good job setting this up, but that whole system is not designed to scale and to remove the hundreds of billions of tons that are needed to really solve this thing. We were joking before we started this whole thing that this is, like, like you said, blockchain is this shiny new thing. But anyone who's been listening to our podcast is aware that I have to actively keep from going down the rabbit hole of the blockchain piece of this. <laughs> um, I think the piece of the carbon market thing that's interesting is understanding like the taxation piece, because it's interesting to understand how companies deal with this stuff and what you're talking about when you say I'm purchasing a carbon offset credit. But first, do you want to talk a little bit about how you how you ended up at Nori personally? 
like or even more details on that like where are you guys located how big is the team yeah happy to go into all of that we are now 10 people which which is pretty awesome um nice we just brought on our 10th person a bit over a week ago it was really fortunate to have our first googler he was a product manager that developed gmail so sort of used to large decentralized uh web applications we have seven co-founders which is a lot for a startup Mm -hmm. but we we kind of need that many because what we're doing is really complex and Mm -hmm. it it was a question between me and the ceo paul gamble who's a software engineer whether we're going to start up in new york city which is where i was living at the time when we first came up with this idea or Seattle and Seattle made a lot of sense um, for the tech talent. And cause people are pretty sensible to that climate change is real and is an important problem to work on. Uh, so we figured that we could attract some of the right people. It, it all got started. So I was chief strategist at the center for negative carbon emissions, which was a center out of Arizona State University, um, working under Klaus Lackner, who's one of the first people to talk about removing carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere at industrial scale. And as a non-engineer or scientist working under a brilliant physicist, it was awesome for me to kind of think about putting it in English, like what what does it mean to pull carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere with machines? And these things whether they work or not, or will come down in, in scale uh, and cost, I think is to be determined. But what was always clear to me is for this to really take off, there needs to be a market. And because it's very expensive, um, it probably has to start as a voluntary market. In the notion of carbon removal, there's an idea of negative, right? Which is a weird translation because what you need to do with that negative uh, value is turn it into incentivization, right? And so in the context of what what does it mean to have negative carbon emissions? Like that's a weird thing because to create negative space, you have to like scoop away other stuff, right? So people are like, what, what, how, how, how can I have a negative carbon footprint? And it comes down to like, because you could maybe put a box in your backyard that would just pull carbon out. Like if we can get to the right scale, I can just get a trickle of money all the time because of the stuff that I'm doing that's better. And, uh, and blockchain solves that operational you can overhead. Just, you can just hop on your bike in the backyard for exercise, ride for 30 minutes, maybe pull <laughs> pull a couple couple pounds of carbon out. Earn nine bucks. About your day. <laughs> and, and I love that idea. And there are actually people talking about these sorts of technologies. Um, I... The other day, uh, someone named Jim McDermott visited our office, and he's he's a good guy to know in LA. He's funding some efforts that are basically it's like a handheld carbon removal uh, device where you're literally like cranking a pump and it's removing carbon dioxide cool. and filling up like a CO two canister. And even though it's super small, it's like this this individual small action that someone can take. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, to, to, to go back to the negative, it, it's a, it's an accounting challenge. Like what, what goes up must come down. So you emit a ton of CO2, the negative is like, you balance it out. But where, where Nori really got started, um, so Paul Gamble and I spoke, I had just finished the book, The Big Short. Uh, and so he sent a note over Twitter and I had free time for like the next hour and a half. And I was like, 
hey, sounds really, he'd send a note that's like, I'm an alumni from ASU. Like, I think what you're doing is really cool. I'm a software engineer who started Carbon Removal Seattle just to kind of learn more and connect with fellow entrepreneurs in the space. Mm-hmm. And I was like, cool, let, let's talk. And I, I kind of, as an entrepreneur, we all have our like idea book or like people we're looking for. And Paul was the archetype of the sort of person I was looking for. And so we, we sort of fell in like co-founder love. Um, and <laughs> talked on like immediately after that note had like an hour long uh, video chat and talked about all these crazy ideas of, okay, uh, you know, there's a market instrument here that just needs to get the pricing right. And so the price mm-hmm. is this, this crazy idea that the, the true price from, from our view is the price that is going to balance the books. And so when we think about like, what's the price on carbon? From our perspective, we're like, well, wouldn't it be cool? And this is really where Nori took off. If we made a token that was equivalent to removing one metric ton of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. And so as we kind of watched um, in 2000, early 2017, and then the summer of 2017, where it really took off with like the initial coin offering craze, and a lot of scam blockchain projects were making a lot of money in a really ridiculously short period of time. Not, not too much in like the let's make the world a better place angle. Mm-hmm. We thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if we yeah. took this kind of greed and speculation and aligned it with some <laughs> environmental impact that focused on like improving the state of the world? And so it's a pretty good. <laughs> we we batted around this idea. I spent two weeks in Seattle um, over the summer to basically see if. Paul and I could get along, got along pretty famously. At the end of it, there was a hackathon. Um, or at, we learned about a hackathon that was put together by a company called Consensus. They're kind of the granddaddies in the Ethereum network. So Ethereum is a blockchain that allows anyone to create a distributed application. And so it was a month-long business planning competition. We pulled together a team. Uh, our team ended up winning in the energy and environment category. And with the idea of tokenizing carbon removal. And then kind of from there, we needed to think about all of the ins and outs of how to make the marketplace work, which is what we've been working on since then. Very cool. And to, to be clear, when, when we're talking about like a carbon market and carbon removal, we're kind of talking about the translation, like what happens right now with our garbage, right? I put garbage in a trash can and someone comes and picks it up, but that's funded, that's paid for, right? That There are people that have jobs, it's paid for by your like local city taxes, go to this garbage removal. And uh, with carbon, it's not something that I think most people are thinking about, right? It's something that we think, I think a lot of people are thinking about in terms of their cars, right? But you burn gasoline, uh, chemical reaction happens, and these these things, these invisible things are released from your car. And we've been told that that's causing pollution. It's causing problems. It's causing global warming. But the problem is poisonous. If you huff on your gas pipe, you die. <laughs> and, it, and it's very poisonous. And, and there's, very tangible. <laughs> there's, this, there's this issue with carbon that I find so different, right? It's so obvious if trash piles up, right? If, you, if there's, your garbage is full in your kitchen, you've got to take it out. It smells bad. It's right there. It's, it's a physical presence. Um, but our lives are spent consuming energy in like everything we do, right? The products we buy and the stuff that around our house, running the dishwasher and the laundry machine. And all of that is producing this carbon garbage, but we don't have any mechanism in the world right now that's collecting that garbage, right? Is, that's a good, is that, a, is that the right analogy for kind of comparing garbage to carbon removal? Yeah, that's, that's perfect. And, and if you think about like 
how did recycling get started? In in Germany, it was citizens who were voluntarily taking their recycling and sorting it. And the government took note of this and then was like, oh, maybe this is something that we should actually do too. And so in our mm-hmm. view, we're building a private market that technically is the government's responsibility, but we can stand up um, with volunteers much more quickly than mm-hmm. waiting for policy to come in. So are you... Are you- it sounds like with Nori, you're setting up a place to just measure everything, right? You're you're measuring, uh, you're going to allow the measurement of carbon maybe out and then the capture and, and removal of it and, and a monetary system where someone like me can come in and say, hey, I'm producing this much carbon in my life. I know I've looked at statistics or I've measured all the things I do in a year and I'm putting out 20 tons of carbon. What do I do? What do I do with that knowledge once I have it? How does that fit in with Nori? Yeah, so the measurement piece is the most important thing for us to get right, because if you can't measure it and someone else can't prove that that activity happened, then there's no financial instrument to sell for that mm-hmm. activity. So so we treat that as basically a methodology. And so there are many different ways to pull carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. So what Nori is doing is building out methodologies as open source code that allow activities that can remove carbon dioxide to submit data that can get queried and that generates what we're calling a carbon removal certificate, which can then be cool. paid for with a Nori token. So for the individual, it means you you add up how much how many emissions have I put out there? And then you would basically buy Nori tokens and then use them to pay for carbon removal certificates. The the truth is we're we want to serve the individual, but to get going um, and in order to prove this market, it's a lot easier to find buyers like companies who can buy in large quantities. Mm-hmm. So to sort of be an open book about our go-to market strategy, <laughs> we're not starting with individuals, but we certainly hope to get there in, in really short order. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So you'll, so right, right now your, your goal is to set up a, a space where companies who want to be carbon neutral or who want to be eco-friendly or who want to do some good can come to you and say, hey, we we think all of our servers and all of our buildings and all of our employees are putting out so much carbon in a year and we want to do our part to get rid of that trash so they can pay into the Nori system. They can buy uh, Nori tokens and then trade those to people who are doing carbon capture. Yeah, basically. And, and just to sort of be pedantic for a second carbon capture Mm -hmm. means a whole lot of things and carbon capture can also Mm -hmm. mean capturing carbon dioxide at a power plant which is super Mm -hmm. important and a great way to mitigate climate change but that's different from carbon removal because when you're capturing carbon that came from fossils at the best you're only going to be carbon neutral if you're storing that but mm-hmm. if you're capturing carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, so carbon capture can also mean carbon removal, but we're only focused on carbon removal. Okay. Got it. No, so that's, you're a good, not, that's a good distinction. So, so you're not, in, you're, the intent is not to incentivize via this, you know, tokenized system, the uh, grabbing it as you create it. Well, it's kind of like if, if, right. if we're going to, let's, <laughs> let's play out the waste, the waste metaphor. So if the garbage collector yeah. is saying you're, you've already let this garbage reach the street, um, we're going to show up with the bill and that's Nori's job. But the carbon cool. capture guy can say, I don't want this garbage to even reach the street in the first place. And I'm motivated to do that, um, potentially by the price of Nori. And so it's kind of letting the market figure it out. And 
they're obviously all important. Right. I think the piece that's interesting that gets us to the weird government space is does this work if it's not voluntary? Right? Like, what does it have to look like for that to work? If you think about government systems, you know, you just you move into a new place, you sign up with the waste service in the area, you pay a bill that you barely notice is trash collection. It gets weird when you can maybe earn money in the system. <laughs> that feels like a like a positive, even though it's sort of created. That's we're we're to, we're to this weird negative positive shift in the in the previous conversation that seems to come on if you a blockchain lets that project be open. So instead of saying you have to pay a subscription monthly to get in here, you can just go, hey, do this thing, hook up to this tap, and money will come in. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really interesting shift in how to think about that kind of stuff with the granularity with which we can track it is part of it. T totally. And and I mean, it, it helps individuals take like the oldest carbon removal technology of all time, which is trees. And you can say, I'm going to go around and start planting more trees. And even on a micro distributed scale, you can start participating in a market that helps you get paid. And I think the government piece, like the go the governments need to do the right thing. And to date, I don't think have been effective. And I think the way it really is going to work, and maybe this will sound kind of radical today, but freely dumping carbon dioxide to the atmosphere needs to be illegal. And the only way to get off the hook is to either not put it there or balance the books with carbon removal. When there's money to be made, people start behaving a little bit differently. And then suddenly, mm -hmm. uh, if people can make money doing an environmental activity that's good, then maybe there are all sorts of legal considerations that have to come up and you sort of... It's not so much, it's, it's more the idea of like, one of the tenets of a functional court system, for example, in our context, is that there has to be open access. It's like constitutionally mm -hmm. guaranteed. But then there's this weird piece of it where you do pay for it because you pay taxes and just everyone hates taxes and they have no connection with what they actually pay for. They just go, the government takes this money and I feel grumpy about it. <laughs> like, but what we really like, it, you know, that's, it does a certain thing in terms of incentivization to keep a system of like human cooperation going on a level that is not tangible. And so what blockchain gives us is a way to look at it in a way that's tangible in a way that we're familiar with because everybody goes to work to earn money so they can pay for their life. And so the idea of like, Hey, you want to earn some money while you garden to a lot of people is like, wait a minute, I can get paid to do the thing that I do voluntarily on the weekend. <laughs> like <laughs> this is the birth of the gig economy. This is the place that the gig economy collides with, you know, Everything. you can do good stuff for the planet, right? Yeah. Like trees. It collides at trees because if we could just plant more trees, like in your backyard, you're at least helping a little. Oh, oh. <laughs> Christoph, can you talk a little bit about kind of where you see this going initially with, because uh, I think Adam makes a, a, it's like a funny way to put it, but when you're gardening, if you're planting, if you're adding plants to your garden, if I go out and plant a bunch of trees in my backyard um, versus just having a lawn that I mow all the time, I'm, I'm capturing carbon by growing those trees. And I don't know the, the math there to actually what's balancing out grass versus trees versus roses versus whatever, but potentially 
by gardening, by doing something that I just enjoy that looks nice in the neighborhood, I'm I'm removing carbon. Uh, sorry to use the correct term in in, in reference Nori, I'm removing carbon from the atmosphere and I'm doing good for climate change. I'm helping to reverse climate change. And that probably is far off being able to get paid to garden, right? Because I, I don't know how you measure that uh, and and tie that back in digitally with Nori. But where do the technologies start to tie in? What are you seeing? Kind of what are you planning for? Where is the monetary? Who's going to be making money on this initially? Yeah, those, those are all really good questions. Before I go into that, it, if you think about like the largest crop in the United States, it's grass uh, because of all the lawns. And like the single best thing, if all Americans were to suddenly decide to do something to address climate change, actually, there's no one single best Mm -hmm. thing, but a very good thing would be to stop mowing your lawn and just (laughs) kind of let the wildflowers grow and start improving the health of the soil. And that will now start putting more carbon dioxide in the soil. And that is going to be hard for us to initially set up a system to make it so it happens that people can uh, verify that and then get paid in some financial instrument because it's so small. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think that in the future we'll be able to go there. But wh- where we see this starting is is with the soil and is kind of more on the food producing side. So traditionally, mm-hmm. or for the last almost 100 years in many decades at least, you know, our agricultural systems have moved into very intense agriculture where we're plowing bigger and bigger, um, take, making bigger and bigger fields. Um, and when you have big plows moving over the fields, that does not good things to the soil. It compacts it. It makes it harder for plants to grow. Um, people are using a lot more fertilizer, which is killing um, some plants, which are actually doing really important things so like microbes that include that improve the carbon content of the soils. And so one of the first place where we're starting is with in a field that kind of is loosely called regenerative agriculture. So people switching from intense monocultures, planting the same thing year over year to more complex crop rotations. Instead of using a lot of fertilizer, uh, which depletes the soil of its health and nutrients, including carbon, planting cover crops. So basically always keeping the fields covered and then using no till. And so basically that helps the soil uh, sort of become a little bit more porous and happy microbes and worms sort of moving around in it. And if you if if mm-hmm. all of the farmers in the United States were to switch to these practices, um, we could remove more than one billion tons of carbon dioxide per year. If this were worldwide, it would be ten billion tons per year. And just to put that in context, that's about a third of all global emissions. Wow. So there's there's a huge potential of doing that. And, and the way that Nori is going about setting up this infrastructure is building on top of some work of some really good soil scientists who basically build models that are able to know a certain soil type and then make an estimation based on practices that people might be doing uh, of how much carbon can get put away. And so it's kind of like the more data that we have, the more certain we can be about carbon being put away and we can build an instrument that kind of deals with that uncertainty rating so at the end of the day what happens is people are giving us data that is true and shows that yep we can be sure that carbon's been put away and people go into 10-year contracts and at the end of those 10 years someone comes and actually tests and measures an improvement over that baseline hopefully that made sense yeah for sure because this is the same idea as like a, a government bond right 
I mean, in essence, right? Like these are like government bond is an instrument that deals with things where it's like, this is a 10 year thing. So nothing's going to happen for 10 years because we have to go back and look at the infrastructure and be like, okay, yeah, this is, you know, like the way investment in bonds works is kind of, Kind of, kind but, of like this, but not not um, exactly because people are getting paid once they start removing carbon in our system, right? But there will be things happening. So just to sort of go into the details a little bit, if you're a farmer and you're removing CO two and you start generating carbon removal certificates, if you give us the bare minimum amount of data, um, you'll get. And so every carbon removal certificate gets something called. We haven't determined, we haven't settled on whether we're calling it a confidence score or a quality rating. I kind of like both, but we'll have to settle hmm. on one of them. But anyway, so there'll be a score. The higher your score, um, the more Nori tokens you'll have immediately tradable upfront. And the rest of the Nori tokens go into an escrow. So like that's the 10-year contract. Mm-hmm. So at the end of that 10-year contract, um, you'll get that payment. But if you give a better score, you'll have more payment upfront. So we're developing this market incentive so people will come up with new ideas um, and sort of letting the market decide of ways that you can incentivize things that increase the probability. And so that brings on really interesting opportunities like Internet of Things devices like soil probes or um, satellite mm-hmm. imagery um, that kind of plug into improving the confidence around which we can issue certificates. So there's even like this, there's a, the, the IoT piece is interesting, right? Because at that point, you're talking about, like, I, I have, you know, in any product conversation, you have to consider the threshold of like, okay, that's too difficult for people to care about doing. And incentivization is one way to do that. The other way to do it is just make it really easy. And so the notion of like, I plant a thing in my backyard, and I commit to not, to not <laughs> mowing my lawn, <laughs> and I get paid for it, is just, it's such a... It's such a paradigm shift on that side of the coin, I think, which is an ironic thing to, if it's an apt uh, metaphor to use, I think. Well, it's a, it's a weird space in, in life right now, because I think a lot of what climate change is bringing to bear and just a lot of current kind of modern problems, consumerism, for instance, which is, is a piece of this, not necessarily directly, but we're, I think people are becoming more aware of all the things we put effort into, all the things we put money into and energy and physically use electricity for that are like bad. I don't mean judgmentally bad, but like non-productive things like mowing your lawn makes the lawn pretty, I guess, in the context of what we've defined as what a pretty lawn should look like. But it is, it's like counterproductive in the world, right? We're taking this, this beautiful living thing that we've put in our lawn and cared for to make like a healthy creature. And we're just constantly like, no, no, stop, stop it, stop it. And I think we're, we're starting to see this. There's like, there's, there's, there's humor in how silly a lot of the stuff we do is, uh, and it's like it's the opposite of everything else we try to do. We 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 like to think we're like this productive culture and productive civilization that's like marching forward, doing productive things. And all of a sudden, it's like, wait, we can just not mow our lawns <laughs> instead of me paying someone to mow my lawn. Uh, I can just let it grow, and it does good. It's such a weird headspace. All of a sudden, to that's swap a lot of this stuff. Swing. That's I an can, activity you can do that earns you twice what you put into it. Yeah, <laughs> because you're not spending. And also you're gaining some, right? That's a really satisfying. It's very interesting. Dynamic. 
and, and if you think about lawns, like lawns come from the like French royalty that Americans <laughs> saw that this was a sign of wealth and class. And it's like, I want that too. And so I think in a way, like we as a people need to get it out of our heads that you're part of the aristocracy if you have a manicured <laughs> lawn. No, like you're you're one of the cool kids if you have a wild lawn with just butterflies <laughs> flying all over it. Beautiful. And, and like, and the blockchain enables things like how do you how do you prove that that activity is actually happening? So it's not inconceivable in the future that someone might be doing this to their lawn, and you have like a neighborhood kid coming over and like snapping a picture on their cell phone. And there's some right. kind of a verifier or a node that might get a small amount of pocket change to just snap photos of um, individuals who started doing this thing to their lawn and like building this like wildly distributed ecosystem. Uh, and that's that's what Nori is trying to do. We by making a one carbon removal certificate, which is equivalent of one metric ton of carbon dioxide mm -hmm. in the atmosphere. We're making it like we're starting with doing the heavy lifting of working with scientists to come up with like the methods and scientifically peer reviewed ways to measure and quantify how much carbon has been removed. But we want this open source so people could propose those ideas and sort mm -hmm. of improve it from a software perspective of just like, let's let's get the accounting right and let's make right. it as cheap as possible so people can get paid to do this. So, paid so not to mow their lawns, <laughs> but also you have to consider the context that maybe you don't think of if you're in an urban center and thinking like, okay, I have a front lawn, I have a back lawn. Like I grew up on a farm. We have, we had f like 15 acres that just, we had let go to forest essentially because it was like, eh, we're not using it. And it's just animals hang out there. It's cool. The idea that that can become a patch of land that you could call a carbon removal farm and monetize like gets to a scale where even on a small level a single family you know could consider that to be substantial income you know given that like i, I just think they're particularly in the united states there's a lot of the country that maybe you don't consider if you're in an urban or even suburban landscape every day it's just like, there's a shitload of land to grow stuff. We're just, it's just, it's just not in New York or Los Angeles <laughs> right now. And so it's not even, so if you think about the, the exercise of mowing your lawn in the context where we've presented it, like there are people with really big lawns that are just, that are not necessarily using it for anything. Yeah. And then potentially on another right. side, losing their coal mining job on the other side of the darker side of this equation that we sort of try to stay away from because uh, it's darker. <laughs> well, this you're, you're taking this to it. This is an interesting yeah. direction that I think we need to go with the questioning. So uh, the questioning, <laughs> the questioning. You're, on, you're on the spot. Okay. Right. right. Um, so objection <laughs> overruled. So, so far we've, we've been talking about the economics here a little bit. And at the moment it's going to be relying on, people's good good faith right their their interest in doing good uh, but ultimately for a marketplace to work it either needs to be like mandated by the government which uh sounds like from a recent episode of yours that i listened to i think with your economist she's an advisor or, or a, a co-founder that has not worked um or it needs to be 
capitalistic, right? Where people are just incentivized properly. And so initially, uh, you might have people like me who I'm actively trying to figure out what do I do to offset my carbon? Can I, can I, you have already talked about, can I buy property further away from San Diego to live on it and do X because it would be better for the planet? Well, there are a lot of, a lot of ways you can have uh, floated that. You've been like, Hey, do you want to like join me on this property? And we can, (laughs) I've been talked out of that also because someone said to me, uh, I was I was chatting with a, one of my advisors at my old company actually, and I was like, "Hey, we've been thinking about moving to a farm and like building an Earth ship and being totally sustainable." And he's like, "That's cool if you just want to be a grungy hippie, but if you actually want to help solve the world's problems, you need to do that in a city." <laughs> and I was like, "Damn, that's a really good response." <laughs> um, but yeah, the the next the next phase here, right, is how do we. Or how does Nori turn the economics into something that is sustainable in a sense where it's not just... It's kind of relying conceptually right now, uh, initially will be relying almost on donations, right? Like I don't necessarily personally have any incentive as myself or as a company to offset my carbon. Uh, You could argue maybe like from a marketing angle, it makes my company look good. Maybe I, I make more sales because people are conscious of this, but directly I'm not producing something that generates capital for my business. So where and how but does this it, shift into... But it factors into your balance sheet above a certain scale because there's a tax implication. And this is what ta- this is this a broader like business implication of these credits. You can sell off a certain amount of tax. This is my understanding. You can correct me. You can sell off a certain amount of the tax burden that you would have to pay for your output of carbon in the in the form of credits. So other companies currently buy essentially like tax ceiling overhead from other companies, right? Well, that's touching on actual carbon markets that have been put into place by government mandate, right? Is that how right. is that how all carbon markets work right now, Christoph? Man, you, you, there's like so many things to unpack here. <laughs> we'll just ramble and then you connect everything that we're... Yeah, with. perfect. I, I love it. I mean, I, w- I want to start with like the first things you were saying about moving outside of San Diego and getting land. Like it's, I mean, sure you can do that, but it, and maybe it's not the best thing for you personally to do because you have a software brain and can build systems that might scale and there's a greater impact you can have, but it's, it's a yes. And like everyone mm-hmm. should do their part and the way it fits for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to like, is it purely philanthropic that people are going to pay to remove their carbon emissions? I actually think it's not like I was just at a conference, um, the end of the week, um, and general mills was presenting. Um, and then they were followed by land of lakes and sort of these big brands. And they were talking about like, no, when consumers reward brands for good behavior. So when you see that a brand is saying, I realize that this climate change thing is real and I'm doing my part uh, to complete to be a carbon neutral company, they they might care about climate change, but they might realize that they can get a bigger price premium because this is something that their consumers care about. Mm-hmm. And so even though it might seem like it's out of the goodness of their heart, it's a cold hearted cash decision. And that's a good thing. Um, but when, when, so when it comes to governments, like there, there are markets, companies are figuring out how to make money on the markets. Today, there's a lot of um, emissions allowances which are being traded. Uh, fundamentally, we have a problem with that because it's, it's like, to go back to the waste analogy, you didn't actually reduce your waste. Someone told you that you were wasting more 
And if you were wasting less, you had this, you have this like digital certificate, which you can trade. So it's like, there are things trading, which purport to represent something which didn't actually do what they say they are. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a market that Nori thinks we can get into in relatively short order because the carbon removal certificate will actually represent one ton of CO2 removed. Mm -hmm. um, and so the companies which are trading this and doing this um, will be able to make money on it. But uh, yeah, I think we keep going back to like, we can have all the good intentions of the world as citizens who care about this stuff, but without the government coming down and saying, you know, we, we need to meet these targets and we need to be, you know, emit zero carbon dioxide um, and really balance this, there needs to be some kind of government mandate. And uh, yeah, I think, I think the market they kind of do that. They do that currently through like tax breaks, right? Like there are carbon related tax breaks. It's usually state by state, right? So like in California, you can, this behavior in this regard factors into your tax scenario. But then also you have companies like, like, you know, Patagonia who, you know, is a, is a, is a public benefit corporation, you know, and we're, we've actually gone with the same structure for Juris, which is a, you know, a deliberate, it basically shakes down to our responsibility is different than uh, another corporation. Like in the context of, we don't, uh, the board can't use the share price to fire people. Basically, uh, our fiduciary duty is to the mission over the shareholders in any context where we have shareholders of a company. Patagonia is structured this way as well. And it's an interesting way of actually having a structure where we're like, look, we're committing to a way of building this on a government level that is essentially optimized for the reward that you're talking about, which is, uh, yeah, we're just going to do good. <laughs> um, and... It's interesting to be looking at projects like Nori and, and Adam like Juris and company formation structures like that, right? At this time in history, because it seems like a lot of what we're hoping, like maybe the three of us are hoping, is that socially we're to a point where people's incentives are just naturally shifting in a direction that can tackle these bigger problems, right? Because part of, part of the incentivization here is not purely capitalistic anymore, right? The idea is I want to make the world a better place. And it's easy to take both sides all the time, right? You look at a company like Apple, I think recently has announced that they're carbon neutral, um, Microsoft has been carbon neutral, I think for decades maybe, but they've announced that. And it's like, well, on one side, <laughs> the glasses half full side is fantastic. They're going out of their way to save the world. They're a huge user of energy. They're all these computers and big companies setting good trend. And then the other argument is, well, well, what did they figure out? How is that making them money? And both of those are kind of good. And that's, what's neat about the the blockchain space, I think, and the crypto economics that come into this is if all of this goes as planned, as everyone is theorizing, both of those things, I think, can start happening and they coincide really well. But then as you dig into this stuff a little deeper and start to look at how it works in the real world right now, it, it kind of works that way already with a lot of stuff. Um, and so you then add in like the open source component and the public component and the granularization with which we can start to measure things and these efficiencies of scale that start to pop out. And 
you just get these wildly complex systems. I find I find blockchain stuff to be so interesting because it just gets so complicated so quickly. There's so much to talk about. Um, the different incentivization mechanisms, the way stuff pops in, the software, the data. It's it's such a weird space. It's such a crazy space to be in. Totally. I mean, I would recommend to any of your listeners who are exploring a career change and are also consider themselves a masochist, like go into blockchain because it's <laughs> it's really complicated and you will not be bored. Like and, and it's it's seriously it's the internet in nineteen ninety five. We don't exactly know where it's going. Um but it it as as the more I dug into it, I think I was convinced, yeah, the the fact that anyone can create their own currency in two thousand eighteen um, is fundamentally a game changer. Now, many of those currencies probably don't deserve to exist, but we've we've learned from that. And I think the the SEC, yeah. also the Security and Exchange Commission, has come down with some um, at least good direction of how to start thinking about tokens um, and recognizing that this is an innovation that can really drive mm-hmm. positive change. And so I'm I'm excited to see really the tokenization of things that create impact and Mm-hmm. sort of align greed with making the world a better place. Because um, I think when you can get those two things right, uh, it, it really changes things. Like the, the other day, I had a guy on the phone who is a professed climate change denier, but he he understood Nori and he understood like how he could make money on it and how even though he was making money and was contributing to solving climate change, which he might deny to be true, like he would still participate. And so I just think that's really cool. And on some level, that comes down to the notion that I already don't mow my lawn. If I could monetize that, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> right. So uh, it's just really easy to articulate a mission when you tie it to like trees and not to air conditioner like devices on the top of your house that's, you know, suck carbon out of the air. That's certainly a objectively beautiful way to uh to do this right it's interesting to see i watched the movie avatar like a month ago um i hadn't seen it since it came out and i actually remember not liking it when it came out but i was watching i was like wow this is this was like the all of the comic book movies but it was made 15 years too early or at least for me (laughs) i wasn't quite ready for it but i i loved the the sort of like sci-fi connection i made in my head of maybe we're heading back to a time where we kind of engineer everything to just be natural again. And I found this, this real beauty in kind of sitting there watching the movie, imagining my home being something I grew rather than something that I built and live in that is just square with sharp corners and seeing this culture that in, in the modern world, you, you look at people who live in the woods, there aren't very many of us anymore. Uh, in fact, very, very few of us on earth uh, just live in nature. And to think about all the stuff we can start to do to really bring that back into our lives, to bring the, the social consciousness of our farming and of our plants back into day-to-day life, to do good, to generate money, to grow the economy, to create wealth for people, uh, to make the world a better place. It's like, it's such an it's such a cool combination as a place to be working on a project. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited for you, Christoph. I'm excited about Nori. It's a it's a really cool project. The yes. whole time you were saying that, I just kept thinking that we need to start like a biodome <laughs> so we can have all those things, but still like go to the office. <laughs> Absolutely. We work. 
WeWork can turn into a biodome <laughs> situation. Just so where do you, Christoph, where do you walls. see, uh, where do you see Nori going over the next uh, few years, the next 10 years? Do you have a big, a big vision? Uh, we, we, we do. Where Nori's going in the next couple of weeks is we're starting a pre-sale. So that's, that's kind of exciting. So if we get that right, um, then we'll have a token that's out there. Um, in the next few years, we'll sort of transition from sort of doing the heavy lifting and having a very sort of rudimentary market where we probably get a lot wrong and are rapidly learning along the way, uh, where it's we're whitelisting buyers and suppliers. So that means people who mm -hmm. want to pay for carbon removal certificates and people who can generate that. And then getting that system so it's just automated and kind of a software transaction that's happening mm -hmm. in the background. And so today we're starting with one methodology, which is cropping in the United States, but there are so many ways to pull carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. So we're going to add a whole lot more methodologies where different processes, whether it's, you know, urban tree farming or uh, like growing algae and then sinking it or doing things with like mic mycorrhizal fungi where you're like growing fungus and then maybe that's even going into building materials or you're sucking CO2 out of the atmosphere and turning it into concrete or some other durable sink, like all mm -hmm. these processes um, that will be able to access our marketplace um, where it's sort of 10 years from now, if we were to wave a magic wand and we get all this right, it'll be like you're at the gas pump and you're pumping your car and filling it up. And at the end you get a little prompt that comes up. And it was like, this car ride was made carbon neutral thanks to McDonald's. And mm -hmm. just kind of in the background, um, cool. Nori tokens have been used to pay for carbon removal certificates. And McDonald's took the credit because they wanted that brand awareness. And it didn't end up costing them that much to completely negate those emissions. Interesting. That's a really neat presentation. Yeah. So it's kind of like things, things like that, where we have a token that's happening in microtransactions, mm -hmm. um, where it's... Or let's say like, you know, you're playing a game and as part of in-app purchases, Nori tokens are just paying for carbon removal certificates. So hmm. where if governments were to come in and say, yep, we want to be, or like, let's say a city, if we want to be a carbon neutral city, you know, go and figure out the best way to do that. The Nori approach would be one of hopefully many uh, acceptable ways to get to that carbon neutrality. And then you know, like just, just last week, I was speaking with someone who manages uh, Restaurant Week in San Francisco. And mm -hmm. he was saying, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we had all of Restaurant Week carbon neutral, where the transactions, what buyers are paying for, or what diners are paying for, um, goes to offsetting the emissions of their food, um, or some other amount. And so I think that's, that's really how we see this market scaling is moving from the traditional buyers who buy offsets in large quantities to the microtransactions that are happening from individuals. Very cool. And I think I, th I, I just, I, I always come back to, it's partially related to my own, what I do all day, but like the open part of that is, is endlessly fascinating. If you can create an incentive like a system to incentivize using the thing independent of the, I guess it's more like the idea of a, of a, just agreeing to a protocol. We talk about this a lot on Zengineering. 
like when we when we break down things like you know like how how web protocols work and stuff right like when we actually have we have episodes where we've talked about like 1995 infrastructure internet and stuff and part of it, the part of it that gets interesting is is like sort of this philosophical component almost which is if you can come up with a communication protocol and give that out then it's it's like you're talking about language or you're talking about code bases that get used javascript like you know stuff that people have heard of but all it is is a set of instructions and if everyone agrees to those instructions then like here's this universe of making websites and web apps that you get to exist in and so what the the whole blockchain conversation is about taking a piece of this and saying i'm not going to make my money off of the fact that i came up with an idea because the idea doesn't even work unless i can get as many people as possible to use it so it just has to be free and easy to use. And that's how we got the World Wide Web. Uh, it just, the transactional piece of blockchain is letting us do that in this way that gets real weird, like real fast um, in a very cool way, I think. Totally. Where you don't have to have like, yeah, the IoT device is like maybe a place you can make some money. But if the idea is just to create the market and then a token that is how that market functions, then it's like you can, you're, you're creating a place where maybe IOT slots in and generates value in the system, essentially. But how you do that exactly is not constrained by you're like, well, right, but we need to sell fertilizer. So you can only do it in these four ways. Yeah, I think the the blockchain enables traditional way like the traditional ways of making money in the whole like blockchain universe are completely shifting. Cause like you said, we, we need to maintain, or if, if Nori can sort of successfully curate and foster a market and the market has faith that we're able to do that, and this blew my mind, we, we might not actually ever need to make money in the traditional sense um, because <laughs> we're minting tokens and selling them <laughs> and they may appreciate in value and we may just have tokens that sort of allow us to be curators of this ecosystem. But the way our, you know, the investors don't always buy that argument. So we have a traditional uh, business <laughs> model where we make money on the transaction fee that's lower um, than traditional offset markets. And then just by building this in a vertically integrated way. But yeah. then there's also, there's the data. And so it's, you know, to throw like block blockchain buzzwords out there, the interoperability and metadata. Mm -hmm. And so like we're talking about farmers who are doing things to their land and jumping through some administrative hoop where they need to submit data um, that someone else is going to verify using the Nori platform. Well, that same data may be important for the grocery store that wants to track the provenance of where that good came from. Mm -hmm. And while that has nothing to do with the carbon market, um, it does matter using the blockchain and the whole supply chain of things. So they're, they're whole interesting kind of financial opportunities to just plug this in, in a new way. And it's for sure uh, a hybrid of like literally everything we talk about on the show <laughs> and the thing that both Brian and I are doing professionally all day. It's, it's really funny. And no. that you guys have an awesome podcast. So right. it's, uh, it's hilarious. So thank you and a, for a spirit manifestation of, uh, of everything that's going on in my life. Uh, although I don't know, do you by any chance live on a farm a great distance from an urban center? I, I, I don't. I wish I wish I did. I, I'm like, I, I spent two weeks on a farm. It was with Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms, um, which 
anyone who has two free weeks of their time and wants to go to a cool place in the world, like do it. Cause you work on a farm, you get fed and housed by the farmer. Um, and if hopefully it's a good opportunity where you can actually learn a thing or two about how to produce food and improve the quality of the land. What was that? What was that called? I want to share Woof. Woof. Worldwide <laughs> opportunities on organic farms. Nice. Um, and, and to poach your listeners, reversing climate change is the name of my podcast. So, yeah, that yeah, was next on my pipeline to, to, to plug. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, thanks for uh, coming on and uh, rapping about this stuff. And thanks to everyone else for hanging out for another episode. Uh, if you want to keep them coming, uh, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot Zengineeringpodcast.com is your friend and ours. And uh, uh, yes, yeah, so the Reversing Climate uh, podcast any other better places to catch you and your team talking about stuff doing doing stuff yeah nor nori.com uh i think five of us are going to be in san francisco on the week of september 10th for the climate action summit we're going to be hanging out and bopping around hopefully at everyone's favorite places open offer to anyone who's ever in seattle just look us up and you can come visit and you know we I find myself just giving everyone the time of day. At some point, that's going to burn me out, but I will. <laughs> it's sustainable <laughs> yeah. currently. It I is. Hope. It's currently sustainable, and I right. think we, we we have to be talking to as many people who are both both fans and yeah. also skeptics. And actually, my favorite kind of fans are those who used to be skeptics, but I spoke with long enough and then actually incorporated their skepticism into what we're doing to make it better. Cool. I mean, yeah, it's an important part of figuring out a system that's not just like, here's a product, uh, a subscription fee, and you get this service. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks again for hanging out. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. I'm Christoph.